0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Different species of bacteria and fungus, but also as a network that is connected. So developing the system that is able to decode all the network properties within this community, that's what we have done. This is our core technology.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr and a special welcome to guest Dawson Schmidt, who's going to be doing some reporting for us this summer, maybe a little hosting with us. Dawson, welcome to the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me, Delaney.
0: So Dawson, we had you on the podcast over a year ago now. You write the Heartland Report. You're a student at Iowa State. Tell us a little bit more about your background in agriculture.
1: Yeah, so I grew
0: up in Northeast Iowa, just on a small acreage with my parents. Uh, So never really grown up with a farm background, but I've always been kind of a part of agriculture. Uh, So pretty much getting involved with FFA, uh, working on farms uh, in the area. Uh, And I kind of always knew I wanted to go to Iowa State, involving uh, somewhere in ag too. So uh, that's kind of just where I've been led so far, and I'm enjoying it. Well, we're excited to... Have you on the podcast this summer? I don't know really exactly what we're going to have you do quite yet, but I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. So folks listen for Dawson's voice this summer, but Ashton, sorry, we've kept you pretty quiet up until this point. Oh, it's okay. I'm just, I'm taking it all in. And this is weird for you because you used to be the intern and now not, I'm not sure if that's Dawson's official title, but he's kind of kind of going to take that from you, Ashton. You know what? I think I'm going to be okay with that. (laughs) Well, we'll certainly keep you around still, Ashton. Um, But let's hop into some news for today. I have been keeping an eye on a few stories, actually mostly coming out of South America for today. The first of which is a situation going on right now in Brazil involving Brazilian beef packers. There's quite a few facilities that are halting production in a few selected locations because the squeeze on margins has been too tight. There have been multiple small and medium and large production facilities that are remaining idle now. And they said that the price of cattle has risen by about 60% here over the past year. And the industry has been able to pass some of that on to their consumers, but only about 40% of that has been able to be passed on. They're at a point now where they really just can't pass on any more of that cost or they risk Consumers not being willing to pay for beef in the grocery store. So instead, they're now going to idle facilities and they won't say exactly which facilities are uh, reducing slaughter or coming to idle. But Brazil's second biggest processor, Marfrig, which owns national beef in the United States, confirmed with Reuters that it has sent employees to furlough, excuse me, employees on furlough in a number of towns and... They did that for about 30 days and then were able to resume thought slaughter. So we could see that happening here pretty much across the nation.
2: Well, Delaney, I have a good bit of foreign news as well, kicking things off here, talking about some news going on in France. Now, we've seen a lot of government assistance here in the U.S. for our ag producers because of the COVID pandemic and a couple of other things. There's been some things, um, you know, some help related to weather and all of that fun stuff. I say fun stuff, um, probably not very fun, but um, in France, the government is lifting the limits on its agriculture catastrophe fund to compensate farmers for frost damage to their crops. For the past, I guess, few weeks now, I've been seeing little stories about the weather in France. It just had a pretty bad frost, it sounds like, especially a bad frost since they're receiving government assistance. But grapevines, fruit trees, and many other crops such as um, rap seed and sugar beets have sustained major damage due to this unusually strong spring frost that they experienced nationwide. Um, Doesn't really have too much of an effect on, you know, our U.S. producers or anything like that. But we do have a couple of listeners over in France, so definitely perked their ears up with this one, I think.
0: Yeah, we certainly do have some listeners in France, which always has struck me as odd, but I suppose there's agriculture in France as well, so we certainly appreciate those folks tuning in with us. But I'm going to take us back down to Brazil here for a second, because as you mentioned, weather issues in France, there's some weather issues going on right now in Brazil and Argentina, or maybe more of some reprieve, I suppose, from continued weather issues we have seen precipitation finally reaching some of the safrina second corn crop down in the top producing state of Mato Grosso or should see that later this week while areas in the nation's south portion of Brazil will continue to be under stress according to meteorologists down in the Sao Paulo area. When you turn your attention then to Argentina, they are having uh, maybe some opposite effect because after weeks of wet weather, They are now finally starting to see their nation get a little drier, and that's been favoring some field work. finally. So we're starting to see those two countries move forward, push forward here with their next round of planting now that harvest is pretty much through the pipeline for them. And weather has been somewhat more favorable down for them in the southern portion, southern hemisphere. And we're going to talk with Eric Snodgrass tomorrow, Ashton? Thursday? I can't remember. Thursday. We're talking to him on Thursday. Okay, well, I'm sure he'll have something to share with us or something to say on South America's continued weather outlook uh, because, of course, they are one of our biggest competitors and what we see going on down there could absolutely impact commodity markets up here.
2: Maybe we'll also get some good news on some U.S. weather, but I'm not so sure that that's going to happen. You know, we're kind of experiencing a drought in some parts of the U.S. I'm just going to have to see what Eric has to say But in the meantime, I have another foreign story here talking about Belgium. The country is set to make an announcement. I don't know if they're set to make the announcement, but either way, they're not allowing the production or use of biofuels or biogases containing palm or soybean oil beginning next year. The USDA's Foreign Ag Service reports that this ban aligns with the EU Renewable Energy Directive set to begin in 2022, which sets an EU-wide binding renewable energy target of at least 32% by 2030, with a 14% target for the transport sector. The Belgian Ministry for the Environment notes that some studies show that the two oils are the most environmentally damaging. Um, Belgium issued a draft decree with the European Commission in March. The Commission, other EU members States and stakeholders have three months to comment if they think that there's a risk of creating a technical barrier on the EU single market. Now, this ban is expected to have minimal impact on U.S. soybean and soybean oil exports to the EU. So that's a little bit of good news for us. since It's not going to have too big of an impact. I mean, I reported on a story a little while ago about the increased use, I think here in the U.S., I can't remember off the top of my head, on soybean oil used for some other products. So hopefully this doesn't hurt us too much in the long run.
0: Well, that certainly might not, Ashton, but here's something that could. This is a little bit of an odd story, but a federal appeals court had biofuels under the microscope today as it's considering arguments to overturn a movement or excuse me, a move made in 2019 to allow the year round sale of E15. Now, I don't fully understand this issue and what the dialogue has been thus far. But essentially, Ashton, a U.S. Court of Appeals in the D.C. District Court heard a challenge to the EPA's E15 decision that was brought forth by the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers And this organization is essentially arguing that the EPA should not have allowed and did not have the jurisdiction to allow for the sale of E15 sales during the summer months. And then, of course, now year round, which we saw that decision in May of 2019. So we're seeing both sides of the issue here. We're seeing this organization, the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, argue that it's not legal. We're, of course, seeing growth energy Uh, The National Corn Growers Association, Renewable Fuels Association, and other, obviously, ethanol and biofuel supporting organizations say the opposite. But they're stressing that there's just really a few minor language details to the EPA's decision to allow E15 sales year-round. That could skew the scale one way or the other. The manufacturer's organization is arguing that the EPA... Statute does not say, quote, no more than 10% ethanol and therefore shouldn't be read as a ceiling. And then on the other side of that, we're seeing folks say that the EPA ignores in the statute that it does not say contains at least 10% ethanol. So we're seeing no more than or contains. Those are kind of the two language issues, I suppose you could say, that are going on right now. Will something come of this? I don't know. I doubt it. But Interesting issue nonetheless that they're literally fighting over like two or three words of language that the EPA has put out uh, to, dis- to determine that the EPA made a decision put E15 year round out without jurisdiction based on these few pieces of language.
2: Well Delaney that certainly is a lot to digest there. Um, I just have one other story that I wanted to share with you today and I think it's Pretty interesting. I don't know how applicable it is to, you know, markets here in the U.S., but the World Health Organization urged countries on Tuesday, earlier today, to suspend the sale of live wild mammals in food markets, warning that they may be the source of more than 70% of emerging infectious diseases in humans. Now this guidance is following a World Health Organization led mission to Wuhan, China to investigate the origin of the COVID-19 virus, um you know all the stories about the bat and in that market and how it caused COVID-19, all that stuff. The World Health Organization has been looking into that and they've been on this mission for a little while now. So now they're urging people to stop selling the use or stop selling live wild mammals and food markets, whether that's for food or for breeding purposes. But to be honest, I don't really know how applicable, like I said, this is to the U.S.
0: Well, Ashton, it
2: might not be super
0: applicable to the U.S., but I'm glad you mentioned that story because it jogged my memory for one other thing that we needed to make sure we talked about today. Again, not necessarily ag-related, but definitely impacting the global economy And that is the announcement that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has now been essentially taken off the market, and that has caused some fresh uncertainty for commodities as well as stocks more specifically. We saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average shed about 33,000 points today, down about uh a 10th of a percent. Uh, so we've seen a mixed bag when it comes to stocks. The NASDAQ was up, S&P was up, the Dow was down. Quite a few just different stocks were down. World markets, we saw currencies reacting very differently to this piece of news, uh, but I think the end headline here is that it has caused some fresh uncertainty, especially for U.S. marketplaces, as you look at folks wanting to see the reopening, mass reopening of the country. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they get through this vaccine news.
2: Yeah, I saw that as well, Delaney, and I'm glad that you mentioned that. I keep seeing memes on Twitter on the different kinds of vaccines and people who have gotten like moderna and pfizer are basically like making fun of the people who have gotten johnson and johnson um I, i don't know how to explain this meme i guess i'm not explaining it very well but that was before any of these claims had come out about it um you know causing health issues but it was it was pretty funny
0: yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how people make a mockery of it on social media. But one thing we can't make a mockery of today was the commodity markets, Ash, and They had a nice turnaround Tuesday here. What do you say we chat through them? Let's do it. Well, as I mentioned, markets really turned around today. And we saw May corn contract close up 11 cents to close at 580. December new crop corn finally broke through that five dollar psychological barrier, now closing well above five dollars to end the day seven and three quarter cent higher to close at 504 and a quarter. Soybeans today higher as well, with the May contract adding seven and a half cents to close at 1389 and a half. November up a penny to close at 1251 and a quarter. Chicago wheat higher as well today to close the May contract a penny and a quarter. And three quarters higher to close at 629 and three quarters. The July up two and a quarter cent to close at 633 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today. We saw mostly weakness today in the cattle complex and mixed trade in the lean hog market. The April live cattle contract down 32.5 cents to close at 122.40. The June down $1.17.5 to close at $120.92.5. Now, feeder cattle earlier, Dawson told me saw some limit down moves, but thankfully we did not finish in quite that negative territory. The May contract down $2.37.5 cents to close at $147.32.5. The August down 2 dollars 40 two and a half cents to close at 158.15 as i mentioned lean hogs were somewhat mixed today with the april front month contract down 12 cents to close at 103.40 the may and june however both higher on the day with the june adding just two and a half cents to close at 106.17 and a half and rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures they were in the red today as the April contract shed 26 cents to close at 1760 the May, down 56 cents to close at 1940. Actually, without further ado, who are we talking to
2: for today's hashtag TechTuesday interview? Today we are talking to the co-founder and CEO of Biomakers, Adrian Ferrero. Today, we are talking to Adrian Ferrero, who is CEO and co founder of Biomakers. And Adrian, I just want to thank you for being here because I believe you're joining us from Europe. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Right now, because of the coronavirus, I'm located in Europe.
2: (laughs) Well, Adrian, I do thank you for coming on today. And we're really excited to talk about the work that Biomakers has been doing. But before we get into that, I want to know a little bit more about your background and you know, the, you're a co-founder of, of Biomakers. So how did that idea come to be?
1: Well, uh, I, formerly I'm a Bachelor in Economic Science and I have also a Master in Environmental Technologies, but I consider myself an innovator because I, I've been dealing with innovation for many years already. And it happens that uh, one of my childhood friends, Alberto Acedo, who is PhD in Molecular Biology, well, we have a conversation on what about the possibility to use DNA sequencing to deliver value to the society through different, well, in different ways. And then we decide to team up and uh, start doing business together. And that's how we decided to create uh, our first company, which was the first genetic diagnostic center uh, focusing on hereditary diagnosing, hereditary diseases. In, in Spain, specializing in this sequencing. And after we sold that company, we realized that we could apply the same concept. But instead of giving value to humans on, on, in, on cancer diagnosis, helping farmers to really understand what is going on in their field, in their soil and connect the biology, the soil biology to their decision making process. So that's how we started Biomakers in 2015.
2: So since 2015, you guys have added a couple of technologies and we're going to talk about geom specifically, which I believe is the, the newest technology that you guys have been working with. But before that, I want to know a little bit more about the company. Give us a 10,000 foot look at exactly what it is that you guys do.
1: Well, a uh- What we do is to utilize one of the most uh, interesting bioindicators in nature, which is the soil microbiome. So we what we have done is to develop a technology that is able to profile the whole spectrum of microbes in the soil, all the bacteria and all the fungal species that populate the soil and also develop a computing system to make a functional interpretation of this community. We understand the soil microbiome, not just as a mixture of different individual, different species of bacteria and fungus, but also as a network that is connected. So developing the system that is able to decode all the network properties within this community, that's what we have done. This is our core technology, and we are using it in uh, mainly with two products. One is called B-Crop is the soil diagnosis status for soil biology. So we look at the soil biology and tell our clients what are the different metabolic pathways happening in the soil so they can really understand, well, everything that is related to the biological processes in the soil and they can make better decisions when it comes to nutrient, fertilization, crop protection, biostimulants, and so on. And the second product, geom it's to really look at the different solutions that are right now available into the market to be able to profile the specific effect of those inputs.
2: So Adrian, the reason that I reached out to biomakers to do an interview is because I read an article talking about the GM technology and the article mentions that this is the first AI virtual assistant, um, kind of in that realm of technology. So, can you just explain to us how that AI technology really works?
1: Well, the, as I mentioned before, and it's great that the, you bring this up. Uh, the way it works is uh, we're able to really produce biological data and compute them in a way that we have to really deliver uh, functional insights. But when we were asking and talking to our clients, what they told us is it, it was that it would it be great to receive a specific recommendation on the most suitable input in the most suitable solution fitting my soil in terms of. Of optimizing the yield and uh, at the same time increasing the soil health and the sustainability of the farm operations. So we started to work on, on that concept. And uh, well, uh, Bayer Crop Science was very nice to, to help us to build the data set to, you know, make the initial trials. And uh, we have developed a prototype that by looking at the soil biology is able to determine what is going to be the effectivity of a specific input in that soil. So that means that we are able to predict if a product is going to work or not. So what we need to do right now, because we have this prototype, is to increase the references on the different solutions. And then the system is going to be able to make a data-driven recommendation on the most suitable solution matching the biological soil profile of the farmer. Well in essence, it's a matter of uh, making the work of the agronomist easier because they don't need to know all the solutions that are available into the market they don't know they don't need to know the specific effects and uh, well the, what are the commercial claims because we are doing field trials on all the solutions that we are integrating in our recommendation engine, so those recommendations are going to be automatically produced by the system and the agronomist is going to receive that information and is going to be able to to give more accurate prescriptions to their clients. That's the goal.
2: So Adrian, since you're doing this prototype right now, yeah. you're doing field trials, when might we expect GM to be open to the public?
1: We are doing right now data uh, beta tests with uh, some of our clients in, in potato in potatoes, because that's the crop where we, where we have done the, this initial prototype and a, let's say the full release of the tool, we expect to have it ready with a proper amount of solutions incorporated into the system by the end of next year.
2: I'm glad that you brought up potatoes because I was wondering if there are just certain kinds of crops that you guys are anticipating using this program with, or like if you're going to just use it with you know the basics like corn and soybeans, or if you're available to other commodity specialty crops as well.
1: Well, specialty crops are of course in our target, but uh, thinking about those crops, where uh, the use of inputs. Is more essential because they are more intense in the use of inputs because they are high valuable crops. So those are going to be the ones we prioritize. But at the end of the day, we're going to be driven by by demand. And we started working in potatoes because we have this solution from Bayer called Minuet, and uh, Bayer wanted to know what was the impact of this solution, and uh, being able to well, and we wanted to check if we were able to predict the effectivity of this solution in the field and we did that in potatoes because that was the target crop and again that was driven by uh, the demand so probably if corn growers are the ones that are claiming and pushing to get this tool ready for them that's what we are going to prioritize so that's that's in a sense the way we are going to make it
2: So Adrian, Biomakers is headquartered here in the U.S., in California specifically, but you guys have done work in the EU, you're in Europe right now. So our producers in both the U.S. and the EU and maybe some other producers around the world, are they all going to have access to this program once it does hit the market?
1: Uh, Absolutely, Biomakers is a global company. Uh, Our goal is to become the global soil tech platform and while you while you feel in my accent <laughs> that I'm originally from Europe well the the company it was uh, we we started the company in California and right now we have an international team we have facilities in California and also in in Europe but we have clients from over 35 countries uh, right now we have 800 clients and the good thing is that as we look at the soil from the functional point of view we can expand globally easily because we don't need so many references. So the interest here is that uh, it's not as important which specific microbes you find in the soil, let's say the taxonomy of the soil profile, because when you look at the soil from the functional point of view, then you realize that all the soils are able to mobilize nitrogen, are able to stress the plants, are able to give some disease risks, so this is going to be available for all the growers worldwide easily.
2: Adrienne, you make a, an interesting point there because I didn't even think about, you know, the different types of soil that is seen all around the world. I mean, I'm based here in Lubbock and my soil is different from, you know, where you might be right now in Europe. So, But having that ease of mind, I guess, is what I kind of want to say here that you know this program will work internationally no matter you know your soil type is is quite interesting. But Adrian, again, once more I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. And if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about biomakers or geome, where can they go online to find y'all?
1: Well we have a website, uh, biomakers.com. There is also a, a specific uh, site for each one of the products. So if you go to bigcrop.com or uh, geom.com, J-H-E-E-O-M.com, they will find the information. Just Google it.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Well, Adrian, thank you again for taking the time out of your day to talk to us.
1: Our pleasure. And thank you very much for caring about this kind of new technologies available for the farmers.
2: Thanks again there to Adrian for taking the time out of his day to come and talk to us about biomakers and their new GM trials. Definitely appreciate him taking the time out, especially since he was over in Europe.
0: Yeah, it's always fun to talk to and connect with folks across the sea, across the pond, but it
2: is definitely hard for scheduling purposes, Ashton. It certainly is. I feel for Adrian because he's stuck there because of COVID-19. But we are going to be doing a couple more interviews this week that are pretty timely. Hopefully not talking about too much other COVID-19 news. I think everybody's pretty exhausted from that at this point but like delaney said earlier in the podcast we'll be talking to eric snodgrass about weather this week which has been much anticipated so folks be sure to tune in on agnewsdaily.com and follow along with us on social media as we continue to share those stories there as well on facebook twitter and instagram at agnewsdaily with that delaney should we let the people go let's let them go